All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Matthew 11, expectations. A lot of misunderstandings and uh, presumption on behalf, on behalf of John the Baptist and his disciples and many, many others. And uh, that'll be the lesson for tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you speak to our hearts tonight as we go through this chapter 11. We thank you for Matthew's heart, writing it down. He, uh, he remembered this section. He remembered a lot of things. And uh, some things he didn't and didn't see fit to put in his, um, in his uh, gospel here. But um, the others, these are the things that stuck out to a tax collector. These are the things that he needed to write for us and was led by the Spirit. And I pray that we'd receive everything he has for us tonight. Um, that you'd speak to our hearts in, in all these areas, especially in the area of expectations and living a, a life of presumptuousness and um, how dangerous that can be for our own walk with you. So we love you as you are and who you are. And um, as we're here in the now, uh, sitting in this room together with your word open in our laps and ready to receive from you, we pray that you'd help us to stay here, um, to be present. In Jesus' name, amen. That's one of the big problems, I think, uh, with expectations and with presumption in our lives is we, we jump to conclusions. Oh, I see where you're going with this, you know. I do that in my conversations with people sometimes. I try to finish their thoughts, their sentences for them. I'm already there. I, I know where you're headed with this. No, that, and a lot of times I'm wrong. That's not where they were going. Um, if I'd wait and listen and sit and let them explain um, I'd be right with them the whole time. I wouldn't get ahead and have to course correct that, that uh, recalculating that uh, my Google Maps does for me when I try to get ahead and see where we're going or I make a right turn because I think I know where it's going to lead. And nope, nope, recalculating. John the Baptist is the greatest prophet. Jesus is going to tell us that tonight. The greatest prophet that's ever lived, better than Elijah. You know, some of the big boys out there, Moses was considered a prophet. David was considered a prophet. Jesus is going to tell us that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet of all time. And I want you to keep that in mind because that should be encouraging to us as we see him falter here. I hate to see older brothers falter in the Lord. I hate to see when someone called by God falter or even question God in his sovereignty or in in his wisdom or in his love for anybody. But when they do, it does give us a break, in a sense, for those of us who are way, way down on the totem pole. It does give us a break. It gives us a thought that if John can do this, what, what I'm experiencing in my life at times isn't unusual. It isn't something that is a catastrophe. It's something that I can come back from, and I hope you know that tonight the doubts that may come into your mind, some of the questions you may have from Scripture, um, things that don't line up for you, things you don't understand yet. And it may cause you to say, well, I don't know about that. That doesn't mean you've lost your faith. It just means that you need to let God answer you. And, and John does that. He sends some disciples to go ask Jesus a question. Um, it was uh, meant to be a rebuke. Of Jesus. It was meant to be a hurry up, Jesus kind of thing. But Jesus does give him an answer and sends the answer back to him, and hopefully that got him straight. John 
we don't hear this in his gospel, in Matthew's gospel, but John has been arrested, and he's in Herod's prison uh, down below. It's right before he gets beheaded, and that's a whole other story in and of itself. So he's in a tough spot. He's in a dark spot. He's not out in the wilderness like he's always been. He's not free like he's always been. He's not calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees like he always has. He's not baptizing repentant people like he's always done. He's by himself in a dark place. He's got some disciples, obviously, that are meeting with him, but he's not where he used to be. It's not where he thought he'd ever end up. It must not be where he thought he was going to be. And that's where we get these questions from. And so Jesus has just told all the disciples that you're going to go out and you're going to go before me into these certain cities and be my advanced forward, advanced party to let them know that I'm coming to preach the gospel, the good news. You're going to go in pairs and you're going to heal people and you're going to cast out demons and you're going to raise people from the dead in anticipation of the good news. All the gifts and the signs and the wonders you're going to do is to prepare people's hearts for the good news that's going to come from me. And Jesus is going to be the itinerant preacher. He's going to go from city to city after these guys have gone in and tell them about the good news. That's what the signs and wonders were always about, was to prepare people for the word of God. The word of God is not secondary to the signs and wonders. It's primary. It's forward. It's first. It's far more important. And so he's prepared these guys and their hearts to go out and to do this. And it's going to be amazing, he says. Verse 1 of chapter 11, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, the Savior, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? What a switch. What an amazing change from behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world to are you the one or should we be looking for a different one? He had expectations. This is not where I thought we were going. I thought we were further along than this. I thought we were going to, I don't know, I thought Rome would be done by now. I thought I was going to be beside you. I mean, I don't know all the thoughts that John had, but... He certainly isn't happy right now, and he's not in a good place as far as his walk with the Lord is going right now. He's not close to his Father in heaven, and he said definitely is in the flesh. I mean, John the Baptist is in the flesh. He's not walking in the Spirit by saying these things, and that can happen to anyone. Peter, for example, after he's filled with the Holy Spirit, We've talked about his wonderful sermon where 3,000 people get saved. Later on, when he's around the Gentiles, withdraws himself from the Gentiles and plays the Pharisee, plays the hypocrite, to the point where the Apostle Paul had to call him out on it, had to rebuke Peter and tell him, you're, you're, being, a, you're being a hypocrite. You need to eat with these Gentiles. You should, they're not icky. They're not gross. They're not defiled. It doesn't defile you to eat with them. And so it can happen to anybody. It happened to Peter. It happened to John the Baptist. It can happen to us. I think that's the most important thing we can understand about ourselves is that it can happen to us. And that's why I guard myself. And that's why I stay in God's word. And that's why I pray. And that's why I show up at church, whether I feel like it or not. It's not about feelings. It's not about I'm in the mood for it. 
It's because this is what I have to do so that I maintain and I make sure that I am feeding my spirit. I'm not hungry right now, my kids say. (laughs) I'm not hungry. You're going to be in five minutes. Just eat the dinner. I just don't want to. All right, all right, all right. We give up. (laughs) Uncle. And then five, maybe 30 minutes later, because they know I'm waiting for the five-minute mark, so they wait 20 minutes, you know. And it's, it's understandable. They just have stomachs that they... And, and, you know, I've just learned this. It's probably off the topic, but, you know, we, we, we should probably teach our kids to listen to their bodies more often, right? When you're not hungry, don't eat. And here we are as parents telling them, eat anyway, whether you're hungry or not, right? So, <laughs> so why do we have an obesity problem? Well, that's because we eat when we don't feel like it. We just eat. That being said, spiritually speaking, whether I feel like it or not, my spirit is hungry. And to recognize the difference between feeding my spirit with things of the flesh versus feeding my spirit with the things it needs, maybe that's a better example. I'm hungry. What's convenient are the Twinkies sitting there in the wrapping, you know. What's appropriate is something that's well-balanced and good for my body that it can use and grow and build from, not just a quick fix. John It can happen to John, it can happen to Peter, it can happen to us. Something's happened here. I guess I'm assuming a lot and I don't want to, but from his question, he's not sure he's followed the right person or not. Hmm. It's not good. Jesus answered and said to them, these two disciples that John said, and I don't understand why they're still John's disciples, That's always baffled me. How can you be following John, hearing John talk about the Messiah all the time? The Messiah comes and still follow John and not follow the Messiah. Yet there they are. They just challenged them last week with how come you guys don't wash your hands like we do? We and the Pharisees wash our hands. So somewhere along the line, they thought John's ministry was superior to Jesus' ministry, even though John had said several times, go follow him. I've got to decrease it. He might increase. He's always encouraging his folks, and yet there they were. So Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Colon. Here's the things that are happening in my ministry. The blind see, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John, you know, John's in a tough spot. John's about to get beheaded. Jesus knows this. He knows all things. He's filled with the Spirit. He understands this. And yet in John's darkest place where he's questioning the Messiah or questioning God come in the flesh, literally, Jesus says, God come in the flesh. Jesus' answer to him is, and it's going to be okay, John. I think there's just a misunderstanding here. There's a... Blessed is he who's not offended by me, John. Kind of calls him out on it. thought you are tougher than this. I thought you'd understand this. Don't be offended at what's happening here because it's not happening your way, your timing. Bad things are happening to you. You have an expectation, John, that isn't God's expectation. God's got a plan and it's sovereign. He's got a way about going. Uh, he's going about it his way. And you don't like the fact that he's going about it his way, not your way. 
It's a dangerous place for us to be. We believe God's mistaken. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18, a prophecy about this very thing. What they were supposed to be expecting from the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The Messiah is going to open the eyes of the blind, not only physically but also spiritually. They're going to be able to understand the book. Isaiah 35, 4-6, Say to those who are faint-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall see, or shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. That's where they get the title for the devotional book, Streams in the Desert. And so when Jesus quotes this, blind, see, deaf, hear, that's supposed to trigger things in John's mind. These prophecies should come to his mind. John knows this stuff. He knows the word of God. He was taught by his dad and his mom. Supposed to trigger that. No. I don't know what you thought was going to happen, but what the scriptures say is happening is happening. It's exactly the way it's supposed to be, John. And finally, in Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, where we're going to stop at the comma, In verse 2, and I'll tell you why in a minute. The prophet Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, capitalized, so it's speaking of Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and open the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Full stop. and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now, the reason I stop there at the comma is because Jesus stops there at the comma. What John is making the mistake of is reading these prophecies like we just read in total, assuming that Jesus is going to, the Messiah is going to do, he's going to fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah now. And they're wrong. Jesus fills The first coming prophecies, the second coming prophecies get fulfilled later. But there was an assumption, there was an expectation that Jesus was going to fulfill all these things at once. Now, we don't understand how there's going to be a suffering Messiah and a king that sits on the throne, but that's how it's going to be. And John thought, for sure, this is it. Here he is. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Going to get that done, get that out of the way. Good. All right. And now we're going to get rid of the Roman yoke, and we're going to put Jesus on the throne. I'm going to sit at his right hand, and he had it all worked out. And so Jesus says, no, the first part is happening, John. It's happening just like we prophesied about. The the deaf hear, the, the blind see, the dead are raised, they're hearing the gospel, they're hearing the good news. It's everything we'd hoped for. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22, Jesus has been given the book and asked to read from the scriptures. And this is the passage he chose. It's a prophecy, that prophecy we just read, Isaiah 61. So in Luke 4, verse 16, verse verse 16 through 22, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. 
And when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to then recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim an acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops at the comma. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled that the gracious words was proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He stopped there because that's all that's going to be fulfilled in my first coming, he would say. The part that he skipped, the part that he stopped and didn't finish, verse 2, in their Bible, that's not how you read. You read until the period, till the end. And he didn't. The part that he didn't read is, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. The vengeance of God comes in his second coming of Jesus. John was waiting for that vengeance. As you can understand. I'm in prison. I'm about to get beheaded. It's getting cold and wet down here. I'm uncomfortable. They're not feeding me. I'm not outside anymore. This should be a great time for Jesus to come back and bring some vengeance. Should I look for somebody else? He says, I say, in a panic. No. Everything that I'm supposed to be doing, I'm doing, John. And I'm sorry it's not meeting your expectations. I'm sorry that you got ahead of things. But don't be offended by what's happening right now because this is all that's supposed to happen and the most important. I mean, there's so much said here to John. Just in that answer. See, John runs through all these scriptures in his head because unlike a lot of us, he's memorized all this stuff. He knows these things backwards and forwards. And so when Jesus claims about the lepers and the deaf and the blind and the poor and the good news, and John should be going, ah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Verse 7, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. Now, this is where he supports John. He just rebuked John. Hey, go tell John not to be offended by me. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out to see or go out into the wilderness to see? He's going to ask that three different times. A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. A lot of guys weren't able to receive that. But he says, if you can receive it, receive it. Because he is one. Now, 
What does he mean by that? Well, there's an understanding that Elijah, if you don't know the prophet Elijah, Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. He never died. He was taken up in a fire, in the golden chariot, the whole thing. And everybody in his, in his, his uh, protege, Elisha, watched him go up. Oh, wow. You know, what a deal. So he never died. So there's an understanding that in Malachi's prophecy 3.1 and in Malachi's prophecy 4.5, we'll read that here in a minute, that Elijah is going to come before the Messiah. But in 4.5 it says this. Let's read it to, let me read it to you. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay? So you can see why John says, well, if they're waiting for the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and, and I'm Elijah, that's what you just said, then where's the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Because I'd like to see that about now. Well, no. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. He isn't Elijah, but he's coming in the spirit of Elijah. In fact, John was asked earlier on in his ministry, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. And Jesus has said, no, he is Elijah if you can receive it. John is here, the Baptist, to turn the hearts of the Father toward the children and the children towards the Father. The great and dreadful day of the Lord is literally going to be Elijah, the actual prophet coming back. He's one of the two prophets in the book of Revelation. Right before the second coming of Jesus, there's this confusion, the first and second coming, and they've got it all combined, and they could not, they couldn't, they couldn't rectify it in their minds. They could not get it straight. They just thought everything was going to happen. When Jesus came in on the, on, the, on the donkey, and they're laying down their coats, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now, they thought for sure this was it. This is, this is the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the vengeance. Here he comes. He's going to take out Rome. And he didn't. As we come up to Easter here, we can understand the depression and the, the abandonment of everybody leaving Jesus because he didn't do what they thought he was going to do for them. He did the most important thing he could do for them to take away their sins because unless he did that, they're going to die in their sins and they're going to hell. But he thought, this is far more important that I take care of your sins that you can live forever with me, and then we'll take care of all sin and all government later on, second coming, but first things first. We've got to get these straightened out, and the best thing for you is for me to take away your sins, Jesus says. But they were upset. John the Baptist is upset. He's just foreshadowing what every one of the disciples is going to do. They're going to leave and forsake him as he dies on the cross, not understanding that that is what's happening He's taking away their sin. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, although proclaimed by John, didn't even understand what he was saying, that the Messiah must die. As we look at our lives and we've asked God to come into our lives, if we have come to Jesus for any other reason, if we've invited Christ into our life, if we've been born again, accepted him as our Savior for any other reason than for our sins to be forgiven, then we have expectations, and he's letting us down. Jesus did not come the first time and has not come to make us born again for any other reason except to save us from our sins. I don't know if everything else will work out for you or not, or anything else will get healed or fixed or replaced. Or 
I don't know. I know this, that you're not going to hell anymore and that you're going to live forever with God in heaven. He's going to prepare a place for you. You're going to go there. That's enough. The second coming, absolutely. He's going to take care of everything. All those things, all those people that skip justice or we think justice, they evaded justice. They didn't. It's at best postponed. At best. He's eventually going to wipe away every tear. Eventually he's going to make everybody healthy. Eventually everything's going to be straightened out. Eventually everything goes back to garden. Pre-fruit, pre-Eve, pre-Adam. Everything goes back to that. But not until we deal with first things first. What are your expectations? And do you need to let him go? And get rid of him? Because in the middle of John's expectations, he's missing out on the beauty of the ministry that's taking place right in front of him. John, you're upset with me. You don't like what's happening. You don't like the way it's going down. Can I tell you what's happening? Blind people are seeing again, John. Deaf people's ears are being opened up. Do you not understand what's happening? They're hearing good news for the first time. It's a beautiful thing. It's amazing what's happening out here. People are just... uh, they're, they're returning back to God. They're turning away from their sins. Their lives are being restored in that, their relationship with their Father in heaven. Everything else is going to hell in a handbasket, to be honest with you. Christ is going to be crucified. Every one of the disciples gets killed for their faith. Marriages are ruined because of it. Paul, we believe, is divorced because he's accepted Christ as his Savior, and his wife wasn't on board with that, and that was acceptable to divorce him. Because you couldn't be a part of the Sanhedrin unless you were married. And he was. Jesus Christ came and divided families, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and all these things are divided. Everything else in the world is going, but one thing is getting straightened out, the most important thing, my relationship with God. The Father sees me again. We have a fellowship that we've never had before. And Jesus is like, John... You're missing it. Okay, so just to encourage us, Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 12, the two witnesses. Let's read about them. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. See, John was all about, when are we going to do that? You know? And there are days when some of us are like, when, when do we get to see that? You know? When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. That's how they end up. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after three and a half days, 
The breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. That's Elijah. One of those two is Elijah. Those are all the things Elijah got to do. We don't know who the other one is. We think maybe Moses, or we don't know. But we know one of them is going to be Elijah, and that's the one who's coming before Jesus comes back the second time, and he's going to do these things. That's not this. I don't know how many times John tried to make fire come out of his mouth. You know? <laughs> nope. I'm still in prison. But he's, uh, he's disappointed. We don't want to skip this part. He who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John the Baptist. It's a big deal. I'm in the kingdom of heaven. I'm a born-again believer. Hopefully most of you are, if not all of you are. You're greater than John. Why? Because you know more. You know more about the Messiah than any other generation has ever known. All the prophets before were guessing. All the prophets were misunderstood. All the scholars were reading about Christ and were like, yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, you can see how confused everybody is about this. They've got all the same data, the same scriptures that we read, and yet we know Christ. Christ lives in us. His Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's what being born again is. I have Christ in me, you know? It's no longer I that live, but Christ... We're way better than John the Baptist ever had it. John the Baptist is saying, I don't even know if he's the right one or not. We're better because we know him. We know him. Verse 16. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of the tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by our children. It says, John was, man... <laughs> He's what everybody wants in a prophet. He's the guy that kind of wanders out of the wilderness with camel hair, and he's eating locusts, and he's straight-laced, and they thought he was demon-possessed. Okay? So what do you guys want? So Jesus comes eating and drinking and hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, ministering to everybody, and they're like, he's a wine-bibber and he's a glutton. Can't win. If they don't want you, they don't want you. It doesn't matter what you do, it won't be right, is what he's saying. But he concludes with, but wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, the fruit is the proof. What's the fruit? What do you see happening? In Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 34, either make the tree good, then its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, <laughs> is Jesus. <laughs> Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That was his ministry. That's, that's a kind, gentle Jesus, you know? You brood of vipers. Look, is, is the ministry good or is it bad? Make a choice. You can't pick and choose. I mean, even back then, Jesus was saying, my ministry is not a smorgasbord that you get to pick from. Either I'm evil, then fine. Everything I do is evil. Or I'm good, and everything I do is good. But we do not mix. You can't blend these things. You brood of vipers, you snakes. Wow, you know? 
That's the best way to minister to those guys is to call them on it. Nobody ever called these guys snakes. Jesus looks at them, you're a bunch of snakes. And you need to know that about yourself. Confusing everybody about this ministry that's happening. Look, we're justified by our children. Look at the fruit of this ministry. People are getting saved. Lives are being changed. People are getting healed. The dead are rising again. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Deaf people are being able to hear. Sick people are walking again and are healed. Lepers aren't lepers anymore. Bad fruit doesn't come from a good tree, is what he's saying. I want to be known by my fruit. I think everybody has expectations of you and I. I think they look at us and expect certain things from us. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. I think the important thing is what does the fruit of your life look like? You know? What's the fruit? Wisdom is justified by our children. I'm, you know, I'm convinced, you know. I'll give you an example of my wife, Jenny. Some of you know her, some of you don't even know her. Wouldn't be able to point her out. Others of you know her better than others. But none of you know her as, as well as I do, you know. Um, some of you have been introduced to her. That's as close as you've ever gotten to her. You could, you know. But as you get to know her and as you get to understand her, you begin to understand her. There's, there's a method to her madness when it comes to raising kids or running a home or whatever, you know. And the fruit of that is going to be watching our kids. They're going to be living testimonies to the way she decided to do things, the way she was led by the Spirit to do things in our home. And that'll be the fruit that we watch. Well, she's crazy. How could she ever do that? That's not right. Kids are going to be a bunch of weirdos that are socialized, you know, those homeschooling weirdos kind of thing, you know. Oh, they're they're not weirdos. Well, they're a little weird, but that's because of me, not because of what she did. Likewise, in my ministry that God's called me to do, what's the fruit? Is it sin? Or is it good, you know? And I need to watch that and check my own fruit. What's going on? Same for your life. The fruit of your wisdom as you lead your life, that's going to be the testimony to everybody around you. What's the fruit of going on Wednesday nights and Sundays also? Why not just Sunday? Why Wednesday too? What's the fruit? Is there fruit from it? They may criticize you. They may think you're stupid. They may think it's a waste of time. But what's the fruit? I'm amazed at how many people whose fruit is obvious to everybody around them that it's bad fruit will look at your fruit that's good, luscious, and ripe and say, you're foolish. Have you comp- Should we hold these apples up together and look at them carefully? Your life is in total destruction. My life is humming along with Jesus. I don't want to eat your apple, but you think I'm crazy. Now, someone who doesn't want Jesus will swear that their rotten apple is far better than your juicy one. It's just how it is. They just they won't get it. And they didn't understand that with Jesus, so you're in good company. Verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He's doing all these mighty works, but because of all these miracles, there wasn't, cha- there wasn't a changed heart. It's interesting. But John the Baptist, who performed, by the way, as the greatest prophet at all, never did one miracle. John the Baptist never did one miracle. Never, no signs, no wonders, nothing. 
He just preached the word and lives were changed. Whereas Jesus, when he's having all of his guys go through all these cities, they're doing all these miracles and mighty works, they give out the gospel and nobody repents. Woe to you, Chorazan, he says. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done by you, or done, were done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were known to be, you know, heathen headquarters, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have maintained until this day. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Wow. You're without excuse, Chorazan, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. I did all the mighty works. I did everything that you'd hoped to do, and you still didn't repent because signs, wonders, and miracles don't lead people to repentance. They don't lead people to the truth. They just don't. God's word changes hearts. God's word is the most important thing. It is the vaccine. It is the fix. It is the solution. It's the chemotherapy to our cancer. That's what it is. God's word heals from the inside out. Signs, miracles, and wonders, they don't do it. That's all window dressing. It's this. It's God's word. Tonight, you're getting an inoculation against sin. Just by hearing God's word, not my commentary, but as we read through the chapter, at least that's been read. If anything of worth has happened tonight, we've read through the chapter 11. And that alone is going to get into your hearts and get into your lives and into your minds and begin to change and heal because his word works. It's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's affecting you just sitting here listening. It's amazing what God's word does. People need God's word. The word of God needs to be shared, taught. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father. So he jumps into a prayer. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good to you and are good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one whom the Son wills to reveal him. A lot of people jump on that. And then they don't read the next verse. Come to me, all who are labor, who are in labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His will is for all to come to him. The invitation is given there. Come to me, all, 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 all. How much is all? All. Not some. You who labor, I'm tired, heavy laden. I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, there is a yoke. (laughs) There is a yoke, and you have to take it and put it on you. You have to take his yoke and place it on you. That's something you choose. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Trust me. Trust me. What I have to offer you, what I'm asking you to carry, is nothing compared to what you're carrying. I want you to let all that go. 
Some people are just working out with their sin. If I get a little stronger, maybe I can handle it better. You know, all my troubles and my woes, maybe if I just work a little bit harder, I can carry them a little bit further. And Jesus is like, just dump the backpack. Let it go. Take those things off of you. And then just take my yoke upon me. It's a very simple yoke. To walk by faith is a very, it's a very easy, light thing to do. The only reason we find it difficult is because we're unwilling. We don't believe. But to walk by faith is a very easy thing to do. To walk, to walk living for today only and not worrying about tomorrow and the things of tomorrow because today has enough cares of its own is a very easy thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to plan out your next five years. What's your five-year plan? Oh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. But I'm certainly not looking forward to that path. What's your plan for today? Well, I'm going to have coffee first, you know? <laughs> and then I'm going to go, and I'll see what God has for me today. And I'm going to just take care of the things right in front of me, the people in front of me, and the things that are in front of me. That's what I'm going to do today, the next thing. I don't know what the next thing is tomorrow, but I'm going to do today's next thing. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He's asking him, please come. The most important thing we can do with our lives is to get to know Jesus. And the more you know Jesus, the deeper your walk is with him, the more confident you are, the more at peace you are. Anybody ever start a job for the first time? Is that the most miserable experience in the world when you've never done it before? Drywall. I'm looking at you because I've tried drywall. hate drywall. I don't mind hanging drywall. I don't like mudding. I don't like mudding at all. The dust. But I don't know what I'm doing when I start something new and I feel awkward and I feel like, oh, I've had several opportunities to start something new and to learn new gigs and, to, oh, boy, and I just looked horrible the first three days. And you can feel the supervisor going, I don't know if he's going to work out or not. You know, He's kind of old. He's got gray hair. He's trying, but we should, probably should have found a younger guy. I mean, you can just feel They're not saying that out loud, but you can feel it. And you're going... I'll get it. Just give me time. I'll give me time and I'll get it. And over time, you get it. And over time, you get better than everybody else around you. And over time, you walk in the door like, who am I training today? You know, kind of thing. And that's what our walk with Jesus is like. When you first get introduced to him, it's kind of an awkward conversation. Hey, how are you? Yep. You know, mm hmm. Yeah, I'm going to read your word tonight. Don't know what that means, but I'm going to read it. You know, and you start, hmm. But as you get to know him, you get to memorize some scripture because he told you to. You don't know why, but you're going to do it anyway. And eventually it all makes sense. All of a sudden, you know why you use that tool in your job. Or you know why you do it that way and you don't do it this way. Now you know why there's an order to things here. Now you know why we do these things. All of a sudden you're like, oh, this makes complete sense. And all of a sudden you've got the white hat on. You're the supervisor. And you walk onto the job site and you get that new guy and you can see him get him out of his truck. And he's nervous and he doesn't know what to say. Yes, sir, I don't know, sir, you know, this, all this awkward stuff. Settle down, son, you're going to be fine. Just stick with it. You'll get it. You'll get it. I can't tell you. I can't encourage you enough in your walk with Jesus. I don't know where you think you are or how much you think you don't know, how you feel like everybody's picking it up faster than you or they know more than you and you don't understand this and you don't understand that. You'll get it. I promise you, Jesus 
is an excellent teacher. The Holy Spirit is an amazing work of God in your life, and you will get it, and you will understand it, and you will do better, and you will be a boss. Christ is going to take care of you. He will not let you fail. He is not that supervisor that thinks, I don't know why I picked him. You know, Jerry is just dumb as a box of rocks. I can't get through to him. No, he's like, no, there he goes again. That's all right. He's going to do that 12 more times. He doesn't know it, but I know he's going to do it 12 more times. None of that surprises me, and we're going to get this, and he's going to get it, and you're going to get it. And you're going to know him, and you're going to walk with him. And the Holy Spirit, That everybody asks me, how do you know? How can you hear? How do you know it's the Lord? I don't know how to tell you this. Keep walking with Jesus. Keep listening. Keep failing. Keep getting it right, and you will figure it out. God will make sure you're able to hear his voice as your shepherd. And you will wake up one day and say, I don't know how I ever missed his voice. Because it's so familiar to you. Take his yoke upon you. Learn from him. He's gentle. He's lowly and hard. He's not prideful. He's not angry. He's just so happy you're on board. And he will, he will just bring you right along. All you've got to do is stay there. Carry that yoke. Keep pulling. His burden's light. Let's pray. Oh, we love you. We're so thankful you're that kind of God. There isn't a God in the world like you. There isn't a God in the world that has patience like you, that has love for us like you do, that understands our frailty, understands that we have difficulties and are hard sometimes to, to teach. But you're patient. It's one of your characteristics. If one of the fruits of your spirit is patience, you're patient and you're long suffering and you're gentle and you're kind and you're loving and you're faithful and generous and all these things, God, that you are. And we are very glad to have your yoke on us. So we're going to pull and we're going to keep walking with you. And we know that eventually we're going to get it even more and more. We're going to know you so well. We're going to be so much, so much more confident in our walk with you. We can have this confidence now, knowing that you will not let us fall. You will not let us fail. You will not let us fail. You're going to continue with us as long as we continue with you, as long as we want it. And we do. Tonight, Lord, we want that. We want to walk with you. We want to know you better. We want to know you better than anybody else in the world knows you. Lord, help us to walk with you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, come on up. Be glad to pray with you.